Go with me over to the book of Romans. And we're going to continue examining and reading and looking at what the Apostle Paul is telling the believers in the city of Rome, um, many Gentile believers, some Jewish believers there. And he has been detailing out in the book of Romans. I mean, he starts out by how the whole world, you know, the Gentiles are guilty and, and then the Jewish world is guilty. And he talks about the law and he talks about how sin came through Adam, but life came through Christ. And he works his way all the way up into this great victorious spot, it seems like. Right? You know, he's established how that, that Jesus, as the second Adam, has victory over death. And, and all of this, and he arrives at the end of chapter 6 where we had finished last, and then he goes into chapter 7. And some people think that, well, let me say it this way. I think that chapter 7 and chapter 13 in Romans are the two most misunderstood chapters in the book of Romans. And I hear them get misapplied and misunderstood, and, and people come away. If you read only Romans... Seven and nothing else, you'd come away really bummed. <laughs> Except for the last verse. You'd have a sliver of hope there, right? Um, but if you, here's, here's what you do. If you read only seven but not eight, you do yourself a massive disservice. To preach seven properly, you have to go to eight. Because seven, he's presenting some issues. Eight is the answer. And if you read only the issues and not the answer... Woe is you, right? You go away with the wrong idea. And so that's why I said we have a long way to go, but I don't know if we can get there all tonight. So, so let's take a shot at it. In Romans 6, I'll begin in the last couple of verses. In verse 22, we had finished up there. It says, but now, since you have been set free, someone say, I've been set free. What have you been set free from? Sin. Now that you have now, and notice the word now. Now that you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit which results in sanctification or being set apart. And the outcome is eternal life. For the wages or the pay of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we know that a gift is given voluntarily and without expectation of compensation. It's voluntary. That's how a gift is. A gift is not earned. Now it's not a gift, it's pay. If you earn it. And the interesting thing is, did you know, Jesus was without sin, and, but He deserved eternal life. That was not a gift to Him. He earned it. He lived under the law, kept the law, deserved it. You and I have not done that. Yet it was given to us as a gift through Jesus, because He kept it, right? And so we have, He took the wages of death for us, the wages of sin for us, and then we got the gift of eternal life. So let's look here in, in 7 verse 1, because it's just a continuation of what He was talking about. And this is about how that we were released from the law. The first six verses here. Since I'm speaking to those who know the law, brothers and sisters, don't you know that the law rules over someone as long as he lives? For example, now what I want, to, want you to see as we read through this is he is not teaching on marriage here. 
Sometimes people will isolate these verses and make it a teaching on marriage, but that's not what Paul is doing. He's not teaching on marriage. He's using marriage as an example. Marriage under the law as an example to make his point about the law, right? And in this case, he's going to liken the husband to the old man. The old man on the inside that you put to death and crucified with Christ. That's what the husband is in this situation, all right? So we're going to read it from, from that mindset. For example, he says a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law regarding the husband. So understand that back in Paul's time and and all the way leading up until that time, women didn't have many rights when it came to marriage. They didn't even have a right under the old covenant to divorce their husbands. Only the husband had that right. Right? So that's why he says it the way he's... Because of the people he's talking to, he's using the law they know from Deuteronomy that was only the husband was allowed to put her away. And so that's why he is talking about the married woman. She's legally bound to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law regarding the husband. In other words, the only way out of the marriage for the wife under the old covenant was if he dies. It's a motivation for some people. It takes some people longer than others. But. Verse 3, So then, if she becomes another man's, while her husband is living, she will be called an adulteress. This is, this is he's referring to the law from the Old Covenant that was given to them. But if your, her husband dies, she is free from that law. Then, if she becomes another man's, she is not an adulteress. Therefore, all right, what's the therefore there? He's saying, in light of what I just said, now he's going to teach. And it's not going to be on marriage. Now he's going to teach. And this is what he says. My brothers and sisters, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. You belong to Him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Let's see verse 4 in the Passion Translation up on the screen. 7, 4, and the P, the TPT. There we go. So, my dear brothers and sisters, the same principle applies to your relationship with God. For you died to your first husband, the law, by being co-crucified with the body of the Messiah. So you are now free to marry another, the one who was raised from the dead, so that you may now bear spiritual fruit for God. This is all marriage language. Did you know that you're married to Christ? We're called the bride of Christ, right? But we're married to Him. So you were married before that to the law, but you were put to death, the old man was put to death, And now you're married to another. You belong to another. And what's the purpose of it? So that you may bear fruit for God. This this word, you can go back to the Holman. This word, fruit for God, it means to be fertile or fruitful for God. It's a fertility word. To be fertile for the Lord. This is all marriage language, isn't it? It's all, you know... Marriage, and now come the babies, right? There's a fertility. 
So what, what is this? Well, it's you opening the door to God and allowing the Spirit of life to come in and bring out of you what, what, are some of the, what is the fruit of God? Well, one of the fruit of the born-again Spirit, we have those, right? We'll read those later, later tonight. You also have, what's the fruit of an apple tree? There's the apple, but there's something more than that, right? There's seeds in the apple, which is more apple trees, Right? If there were no seeds in the apple, the point of the fruit is the seed. If there was no seed in the apple, that would have been the last apple tree ever. Right? They ate that one when that tree was dead. The apples are extinct, right? Well, in this case, the fruit or the seed is going to be more believers. More believers. You watering other believers, other people, bringing people the light of the gospel. Let's look at verse 5. He says, For when we were in the flesh... See, before you were born again, you were in the flesh. In the flesh. Now, if you've been born again, we'll read this, you're in the Spirit. In the Spirit. And there's a new you on the inside. Now, you still have that flesh. Because your flesh didn't get sanctified. It's still just as unholy as an unsaved person's. I mean, like, for example, you can take a saved person and a spirit-filled, the, 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 the best believer that you know of, okay, in your mind, whoever that is. You can take that person and the worst heathen that you know of and shower them and then put them into a sweaty situation and they're both going to stink at the end of that. Why? Because their flesh isn't what got born again nor saved. Their flesh is just decaying, foul-smelling flesh as we'll read through sevens, and you can't trust it any further than flesh. Because it has evil desires, it wants to do wrong things, it's just unsaved and depraved. That's what flesh is. So here he's saying, but you, in verse uh, 5, for when you were in the flesh, because we were there one time, it was our identity. The sinful passions aroused through the law were working in our members to bear fruit for death. Again, more fertile language. To be fertile for death and destruction and all that comes with it. See, that's the thing with sin. Is the Lord paid the price for sin. We don't have to pay the wages of what sin brings to you. But when you indulge in sin and you go, oh well, the Lord has forgiven me, what is happening is you're opening the door and you're putting seed, if you will, for fertility for the enemy to come in and allowing him to bring death, destruction, depression, all those things that come with it. That's what sin does. That's why God hates sin, because sin hurts people. It leads to death. What's connected with death? Is depression connected with death? Yes. Is sickness and illness? Yeah. All those broken things belong in the realm of death. And we know that it came, by, it came to mankind by Adam and was inherited in that way. And he'll speak about that in just a little bit, about once being alive but then, then dying. Alright, verse 6. But now, so, so you were in the flesh, sinful passions... And through the law, those passions were just, man, bringing fruit for death. You were fertile for death. Let's put it that way. But now we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us. 
We died, so we're not married to the law anymore. That's what he's saying. So that we may serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the old letter of the law. The newness of the Spirit. What should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. But I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said do not covet. See, the law is like light. You ever try to do something when it's kind of dark and it's a tedious something and you can't see and you're not even sure and then you bring light to the situation. All the parts, details, and pieces are all still there. Nothing new has been put there or created. You just see it differently suddenly. You suddenly see clearly what it is. For example, if we had a spider on our bedroom floor, right? My wife would be really concerned about that. She wouldn't appreciate that at all. But let's say she gets out of bed and she walks past the spider, doesn't pay him any attention because she doesn't know he's there. Walks, but is he there? Yeah. Walks over to the wall and flips the light on and sees the spider in the middle of the room. I mean, it's a big, ugly, hairy one. Right? Did the light create the spider? No. The law didn't create the sin. The sin, and we're going to see this as we read this, the sin was there all along. The law just revealed it to be sin. The spider was on the floor all along. The light just revealed the spider to be spider. It's not the light's fault. It's not the law's fault. The law is just a revealer of what's there. So let's read verse 7 again. What should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. But I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. And sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I remember as a child, even as, as an early young married man, I would go get on the airplane and fly with Jen's dad somewhere. And, uh, you know, I was always a passenger. I wasn't piloting or anything like that. But it's a little plane and there's no bathroom in that plane. And now we're going to fly for several hours. And so you go empty the bladder multiple times before you get on the plane. And, you know, you haven't been drinking in three days to make sure that you don't have to go. But as soon as the door goes shut and the engine starts and you know it's too late, suddenly you'd really like to go pee again. What is that? Right? Or you take a child. You know, they're not doing whatever it is, but if you tell them they can't do that, suddenly there's this, they want to. What is that? That's in the flesh, right? That's just what flesh is, and that's what happens here. When the light comes, when the law came and said, this is sin, immediately they want to do it. Verse 9, Paul says, Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life again and I died. When we know that he is not talking a physical death. Right? Because Paul, that he, he didn't. Right? He's alive when he's writing this. 
So he's not talking about I died physically. He's talking about a spiritual death. This verse right here is why we believe that children, little babies and little ones are alive to the Lord. And if they should, um, something tragic would happen and they would die, that they would go to be with the Lord because their spirit is alive to the Lord. They've not reached the age of accountability of knowing the commandment yet or knowing the law. Right? And so it's not, in, in Romans, in multiple places through the book so far that we've come, it says that if you don't know the law, then it's not imputed. Sin is not imputed to you. It's not put to your account because you didn't know you violated it. <clears throat> You know, if you're out on the freeway or a highway and you're driving, maybe you just turned on the highway and weren't paying attention like you should, and pretty soon you can go, what's the speed limit? Right? Because you didn't see the sign that you passed. What's the speed limit? And, um, well, I don't know. It's probably probably 75. So away you go at 75. (laughs) All right? Now the speed limit sign back there that you drove past but just didn't pay attention to, that said 55, right? Are you violating the law? Yeah, yeah, you are. Do you believe you're violating the law? No, you think the speed limit is 75. Because you know up ahead here at this one place it is. I just don't know in this stretch of road what it is. So while you may not be guilty of sin, or I don't believe speeding is sin, but we're going to... Let me just be real clear on that. I do not believe speeding is sin. Else I wouldn't do it. <laughs> Heather, you can't tell your husband that. He's a state patrol. The point being, all right, we've gotten off track. Let me say it a different way. I don't know if it's still the case, but in Montana, at one point they took away the speed limit. There was no speed limit. It's just driver's discretion. Drive safely. And so for one person safely, you know, 60, and another person at 120, but drive safely. Now, at night they had speed limits, but during the day they didn't. And I don't know if that's still the case or not. But during the day, was it possible to break the law in regards to speed? No, not as long as it wasn't raining. That was one of the caveats. Because if it was raining, then speed limits came into play. But otherwise, no. You can drive as fast as you want. You're not breaking the law because there's no law. But as soon as nighttime came and there was a law now, now any speed over that limit is breaking the law and it's going to be charged to your account if they catch you, right? If they stop you. I'm going to quit talking about speed before I dig a hole I can't get out of. I was once told that here we go. I was once told uh, that, you know, your angels don't fly faster than the speed limit. <clears throat> I've disproved that. Because <clears throat> I've had accidents way faster than the speed limit as a young man. And uh, let me tell you, there was angels involved. Thank God I had faster angels than the guy that told me that. Am I saying that you should speed? No, I'm not. Okay. All right, Paul. Back to Paul. When life was a little slower. Verse 9. Once I was alive apart from the law. 
So he is talking about when he was a child before understanding came, before accountability came. And if you ever notice a child, they go in stages of accountability, right? Depending on their age and maturity, they have a higher level of accountability and a higher level of accountability. And, and so that's why it's important to, as a child um, breaches a level of accountability, that they, that you as a parent or grandparent, coach them in putting that new level of understanding, submitting it to the Lord. Right? So that they continually walk in a place of Jesus is the Lord of their life. You can start when they're real little. You know, when they're five and six years old, they can make commitment. They want Jesus to be the Lord of their life to the level of their understanding. Right? And then on from there, you'll just see that grow. So, so you'll see, um, sometimes people joke about, yeah, you know, when I was a teenager, we'd go to church and we'd get saved every weekend. Well, you're not getting re-saved. Maybe you're putting another level of commitment on. Right? <clears throat> All right, he says, the commandment came, sin sprang to life again. And I died. I have to check something. Hold on. Very good. The commandment that was meant for life resulted in death for me. Why did he die? Because he now knew that he needed a Savior. He now knew that it, whatever it was was wrong. And so spiritually he dies. Now he needs a new birth. That's where Jesus comes in at. The commandment that was meant for, for life resulted in death for me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. Therefore, did what is good become death to me? Absolutely not. But sin, in order to be recognized as sin, remember, light is just revealing the spider. In the middle of the room. But sin, in order to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure. Put up um, verse 13 here in the Passion Translation again. <clears throat> so did something meant to be good become death to me? Certainly not. It was not the law, but sin unmasked that produced my spiritual death. I like how it says that. Sin unmasked. In other words, it's not hidden anymore. The sacred commandment merely uncovered the evil of sin so that it could be seen for what it is. So that it could be seen for what it is. So is the law bad, he's asking? No, of course not. The law is just revealing what was there all along. It's not the creator of it. You know, this sin... If you look back here in verse 10, uh, verse 11, For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. Sin wants to have you. Did you know that? Sin wants to have you. I mean, at one point Jesus turns to Peter and says, you know, the devil is looking to sift you guys. But don't worry, I prayed for you. And Peter, when you repent, come back and lead them into this truth. And so, um, put up Genesis chapter 4, uh, verse 6. Genesis 4, 6, and we'll look at verse 7 as well on the screen. Genesis 4, 6. Here you'll see the first time that sin came and was laying wait for somebody. Well, no, I shouldn't say 
Um, it's the first time that it's worded in that way. Let's put it that way. So in 4.6, what had just happened is Cain and Abel bring their offerings to the Lord, and the Lord had respect for Abel's, but not for Cain's, right? Because, well, in Hebrews 11, it tells us why. But here in verse 6, Cain was very furious about it, and angry and despondent and all these things. And so the Lord addresses him. He says, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious and why do you look despondent? Verse 7, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So sin is looking to have Cain. It's to get Cain. Well then, Cain, you know the story. He invites Abel out to the field, and I don't know if he used a rock or stick, something, and killed him. Notice they didn't go to banning sticks and rocks back then. No. See, it's the doer of evil that needs judged and dealt with, not the equipment they used. Let's look through, start in 14. Before I begin reading in verse 14 though, the right use of the law is to give knowledge of sin and convince us that we need a Savior. That's the right use of the law. You cannot be saved by the law. In fact, the law is powerless to overcome sin. Have you ever tried to live above sin by living by the law? Maybe you came from a law-based church. And that's just a constant defeating thing, isn't it? To be letter of the law, to live under the law. You know, living by the law is a recipe for defeat. Let's just put it that way. It's a recipe for defeat. And only the grace of God can overcome sin, and the law cannot. So let's just begin reading here in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. Notice he didn't say, I am in the flesh. He differentiates. Because he was in the flesh earlier, he said, but now he's of the flesh. Sold as a slave under sin. For I do not understand what I'm doing, because I do not practice what I want to do. But I do what I hate. Now, you have to, in a, to understand this section right, understand that he is talking about the person who is trying to live above sin or victorious over sin by the law. He is not talking about a spirit-led person living above sin. He talks about that in chapter 8. But right now, he's talking about what the law couldn't do. Here's what the law revealed. Here's what the law couldn't do. You try to live by the law, this is what happens. I do not understand what I'm doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I'm no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there's no ability to do it. Living under the law. That's what that's like. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is sin that lives in me. So I discovered this law, or so I discover this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law 
of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. See, if you are born again, the old man's been crucified. You know, he said, in, he said it this way in Galatians. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here, he is just laying out very clearly that under the law, living by the law, this is what you end up with. You can even, you can even be born again and have the Spirit of God on the inside of you. And your inner self can want one thing and you're just powerless to do it because you're not living by the Spirit. You're living under the law or under the fle- and yielding to flesh. Law-based living will result in Romans 7, 14 through 24 each and every time. There's plenty of other Scriptures in Romans alone that completely... If someone wants... To, let me reset. If someone wants to use this section of Scripture... To show that, you know what, ho-hum, woe is me. This is why I just keep doing what I shouldn't do. This is why I, you know, I'm just like Paul. I do what I hate and, and I don't do the good that I want to do. And, and they use this as an excuse. And if someone wants to use the Scripture in this way, in this regard, they are not understanding at all what Paul is saying here. Because what Paul says in Romans 8, he makes it very clear that you can live above sin by the Spirit. So if that's true, then this can't be true for the Spirit-filled, Spirit-led person living by the Spirit, right? So he is talking about going back and I'm living under the law. He might have been saved, but if I try to live under the law, this is the result because the law can't save me. Only God can do that. So he makes this statement. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? recognizing the sinful desires that are in his flesh. And if he's flesh-led, he'll live. If he's flesh-led or tries to live according to the law, he'll do exactly verses 14 through 24. In Galatians, it talks about being spirit-led or flesh-led. And a lot of times when we read that, in fact, let's go over there right now. Galatians chapter 5, I believe. We'll come back to Romans in a moment. Galatians 5, I'm going to begin in verse 13. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Someone say, yay, freedom. freedom. Only, don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But, so use it, in other words, to serve one another through love. For the whole law, we're talking about the law, the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. I say then, walk by the Spirit. Everyone say, walk by the Spirit. Spirit. And the result is, he says, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. Not carry out the desire of the flesh. He did not say, get your flesh under, live by the law, and then you'll be Spirit-filled and Spirit-led and walk by the Spirit. didn't say that. He said, you walk by the Spirit, now you won't do those other things. But a lot of times when we read this, we flip it. Don't we think, okay, I have to get my flesh under, I have to do this, I have to do that, I have to... No, no, no. You, you, 
turn it and you look in the spirit realm and live according to that realm and suddenly you won't be doing those things and you didn't even try not to. Because you were doing something else. He goes on and he says, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now it talks about flesh desires. For the flesh, that's your flesh, my flesh, everyone's flesh in here, all desires all these bad things. What is against the spirit? And the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't want do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Where is the kingdom of God? In us. In us. That's where the kingdom of God is, is within. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Back to Romans. Romans 7, where we were, we had left off at verse 24. He asked the question, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? From this flesh? Now we know the answer to this. Put this question up on the, in the uh, Passion Translation and see, see how it words it there. Who will rescue me from this body of death? What an agonizing situation I am in. So who has the power to rescue this miserable man from the unwelcomed intruder of sin and death? The answer, back in the Holman, is in verse 25. This is the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God. But with the flesh, the law of sin. Because your flesh didn't get saved. But your spirit did. And if you do what you're supposed to do and get your mind renewed, put the Word of God in there and let your mind be renewed, right? And you stay in that way, you're going to walk after the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That's how you walk in victory is you're walking in the spirit realm, not focused on the flesh realm. He answers the question, who's going to rescue me from this decaying flesh? Well, we know that this flesh is one day going to be resurrected. And it's going to be free of that old disease of sin. Right? And instead, it's going to be renewed and be completely free of that. So, He is going to rescue us then in that way, but He's rescued us before then, right? By the new man. Because the old man's been crucified. Now you have that new spirit being on the inside who is conformed to the image of your Creator. Now verse uh, chapter 8. Therefore, based on what I just said, 
There is now. Now the word now, not trying to be funny, but sometimes now doesn't always mean now. Did you know that? Sometimes it means like as in um, now that I've said that. And other times now means as in present, right now. So this word here, it means present tense. Now. Boom. No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who are not in Christ Jesus, yeah, there's plenty of condemnation. There's no judgment against those who are in Christ Jesus. See, often we hear of condemnation as in, oh, that condemning feeling. But you have to expand beyond that right here. There's no judgments against those who are in Christ Jesus. The wage has been paid. The debt's been canceled. So there's no judgment against those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, because the law of the Spirit of life. Did you know that life has a law that accompanies it? In particular, the Spirit of life. Because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and of death. He is now changing from talking about living under the law to living under the Spirit. Living from the Spirit rather than living under law. And just watch what happens through here. For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh. Did you know that flesh is the law's limitation? It's completely limited by flesh. For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. Hallelujah. He condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, judgment for sin. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. In order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Sin offering. Did you know sin offering is a term used in the Old Testament about sin that was not willful. It was like, okay, I sinned, but I didn't mean to. It wasn't a willful, yep, I know that's sin, I'm doing it anyway. That was with the, the, the sin offering. And he goes on and he says how the law's requirement is fulfilled in us, in Christ. You know, Christ earned eternal life. He deserved it. Right? He kept the law. He fulfilled the law's requirement. He's the only one who did completely free of sin. So there was no sin offering needed for Him, yet He took our sin and now He needed one. In order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. In other words, they see flesh, they feel flesh, they think flesh, so therefore, they become more tuned in with flesh. The more you pay attention to something, the more you are tuned into that thing, whatever it is. Like, for example, you ever start listening for a noise? Someone says, do you hear that noise? You start listening. And suddenly, you hear like a dozen noises. You weren't hearing any of them before, right? Because you're tuning in. What you're focusing on, there's, it begins to expand. And you hear and see more of it. You know, you buy a car, 
And while that car was not popular before you bought it, the moment you bought it, that car is all over the place. You see it everywhere you drive. There's one, there's one, there's one. Why? Because you're tuned into that. Well, thinking the things of the flesh or the things of the Spirit are the exact same way. You become more and more sensitive to what you're tuned into. If it's flesh things and what my flesh wants and my selfish desires, that just continues to grow. But if you're being Spirit-led, now you become more and more... Some people say, well, I want to be more sensitive to the Spirit of God. Well, then, then begin practicing it. Begin doing it. And the more you do it, the more tuned in you, you become, the more your ear is tuned, the more you're able to hear. And I don't mean by hearing an actual voice with your physical ear. I'm talking spiritual ears. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on things of the Spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, and stress, and pressure, and depression, and darkness, and the mindset of the flesh is death. What all comes with death? I mean, you imagine. You think. You answer the question in your head. What's in the realm of death? Where am I living my life currently with such a flesh mindset that it's opening up that realm? And he goes on and he finishes the statement with, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. Life and peace. You can be in the middle of all that negative surrounding and all the death, and if you put your mind on the Spirit, Suddenly you have life and peace on the inside even when there's a lot of waves all around you. Jesus was a great example of that when he was sleeping in the boat. So backing up now to verse, verse 2 where we had been. Because because, remember everything you just talked about in chapter 7, because the law of the spirit of life, because that's the law, we, we've been crucified to the other law, we died. We're not married to the law anymore. So now there's a new law that's in play that we're married to, and it's the law of life in Christ. New law. We're married to another. We belong to another. And it has set you free from all the commitments and all the things that were attached to that prior marriage. That's what it says. It says you've been set free from the law of sin and death. You've been set free. You've been, that word means set free means exempted. You're exempt. I used to like to, when, when they were trying to tell everyone to wear masks, and, and, but they had this medical exemption, right? And uh, basically the medical exemption said if you can't breathe right with it on, then you're exempt. And so I'm exempt. And so I would walk into places and they would begin to say something to me and I would just say I'm exempt. And they'd be like... And away we'd go, mask-free, right? And other people would say, how did you do that? Oh, I'm medically exempt. Because I can't breathe right with it on. I mean, if you could breathe, breathe right with it on, God would have made you born with one, right? I know that's not good English, but you get the point. Hey, if you want to wear a mask, that's all right by me. Just don't tell me I have to. If I come to your house and you want me to wear a mask, it's your house. I'll wear a mask if I want to be there. Or I might say, hey, I'll call you. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. I would actually say, what? I don't know what's wrong with me tonight, that I'm just in this metal mood. Where were we even? 
Verse 2. You have been set free from the law of sin and death. And that's what chapter 7 was. Sin and death. Now you're under a different law. You're married to a different spouse. His name is Jesus. And it's the law of the spirit of life. Look down here at verse 6. Now the mindset of the flesh is death. But the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God. Because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. You know, I used to have a real mindset of the flesh problem. And sometimes, you know, I still have to grab myself by the ear and say, hey, wait a minute, what am I thinking? Get my thinking right. But I used to, I I really, really liked secular music. I listened to it all the time, you know, driving, at work, whatever it was, everywhere. This is before, you know, I was walking in a spirit-filled life. And I despised Christian music. Hated it. It just sounded bad. It was, I didn't like it. You know, when John gets up and he plays a really old Christian song, it's a new song to me. Like, that song was cool. Oh, that was an old one, he goes. Oh, okay. You know, some of you, some of you that have been around for a while, you're going to recognize, even if you're my age, if you've been in the church, you're going to recognize songs that I won't know from back in 80s and 90s and, and, and on. 2000s. Well, that being said, I was tuned in to music. My friends and I, and my my people that worked for me, when we would be at work or driving down the road, we'd have this game we'd play. Who can name the artist first and the song, right? So song comes on. I would I would would just win. I would just win because I could tell you when and where and all these things. You know, music. I breathed, ate, and slept music. I was all about the music. When I'd go to the radio and turn it on, and surfing channels, maybe we're driving, maybe we're traveling, and I could tell you in a moment if it was Christian music or not. And bam, I'd change the channel. What's that? Well, we're not talking about that. Now she's up here meddling. But can the Lord still get your attention even when you have a mindset of death? Right? And are stuck in death. I wouldn't listen to sermons, because that would have been weird. Why would you do that? I mean, now that's what I work out to, right? I, I rarely listen to music, because I'm always listening to teachings and sermons. But, but my point is, is, and I'm not criticizing you if you listen to secular music. Don't hear me wrong. Just make sure the, the lyrics that you're putting into you are wholesome. Okay? Because lyrics that... You know, I'm still amazed that I go to places and songs come on and I know every word. You know, that's, those words are still in there, right? And so, words are power. We know that. So just be careful what you're putting into you and what you're allowing yourself to repeat. It's why, and I didn't intend on talking about any of this. It's why in this house that we put a great emphasis on what the words of the song say. There's been plenty of times where we've had a song, we played it a few times, and we stopped playing it. Yeah, there's a reason for that. Probably the reason is, is that John and I talked, and we were both like, mm, yeah, that one scratches my spirit. This one part of it, you know. A lot of songs are good, and then there's this one part that's just, well, that's not even biblical. Why do we sing that? And, uh, or like, the, you know, anyhow, you get the point. <clears throat> it's important... Music is powerful. 
Music is so powerful because it'll change. It can change atmospheres. I mean, it had the power to calm down devils. King Saul had a devil. David would begin to play and the anointing and presence of God, I guess, would come in as he played music and it'd calm him down. Right? The, the priest started to play music and worship and the glory cloud of the Lord came into the temple and it was so strong they couldn't stand up anymore. Wouldn't that be amazing? No fog machine needed. And by the way, man, I don't know why. Why am I talking about worship? I guess because John is gone. Right? He won't feel like... I don't know what he wouldn't feel like because we agree. So it's one of the things I really like about John is that he and I think alike on music. And not every pastor... And not every worship leader is blessed with that equation, right? And so, so we think alike. And then uh, John has, has been, and Kevin has been helping John for so long, so we're grateful for that. What was I talking about on music? That we want to sing words that are edifying, words that are scriptural and biblical. And it's why we don't turn the lights down here when we worship. It's why we don't do fog machines. Because I don't like to do things that are trying to imitate the Lord. As far as imitate His glory or imitate that kind of... When it's fake. It's clearly fake. We're just doing it for the feels. Does that mean you can't do things for the feels? No, I'm not saying that. I just... There's a few things that, that we won't do in this house. And that is, is turn the lights down. Because I just can't find in Scripture that... Anyhow, so they were all in heaven and they worshiped there for that half hour and it was really dark. No. No. Nope, the lights were on. It was bright. And so that's why it's always the lights are on in here. If you go to a place that turns the lights out, hey, that's fine. Just worship the Lord, okay? Overcome all of the, those other things. Um, fog machines. You know, we don't do that. They, they look cool. looks really cool, right? But we don't ever want to mistake in... You know, if we have a bunch of fog and then suddenly the Lord shows up, well, which is His and which isn't? <laughs> I think we'd know the difference, but still, you get the point of what I'm trying to say. Maybe we should just stop there. I want to at least read some more verses so that you don't go home <laughs> in a fog, yeah. Hey, fog is a real thing. You know, that's, there's a term. <laughs> you guys th think I'm joking with you. I'm not. There's a term called the fog of war. The fog of war. A, in the old days, it was a really a real thing. Now it's more of a metaphorical thing because we don't do battle the way they used to. Where they would line people and horses and equipment up face to face. And I mean, it would create this fog and this cloud. And then you can't see the movement of your troops. And you can't see, well, who's there and who isn't. And if it wouldn't have been for that case, the Confederate army would have whooped them down in Gettysburg. But because of the fog of war, the Union army was able to prevail because they didn't see what the Union army was doing. So the fog of war is a very real thing. And in, in this case, it worked out for the good of the union. But the fog of war, the devil will try to distract you and make so that you can't see his real agenda. And he puts this fog out there so that you miss what's really going on over there. So be aware of that. Fog can be good, but it can be bad. That sounds like a politician, doesn't it? It can be good and it can be bad. Yes and no. 
I think you understand what I'm trying to get across. And if you don't, I'll pray for you. Verse 8, those, uh, no, let's go back to verse 6 and, because that's where we had left off. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. What all comes with life and peace? You, you think about that for a moment. All the things that accompany life and peace, energy, rest, joy, the fruit of the Spirit, you know, it's powerful. It's very powerful. Verse 7, the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. That's why I'll stand here so strongly and say that your flesh is just as foul as Joe heathen down the street. I'm not talking about soul, not your soul realm, your mind, will, and emotions. That's supposed to be renewed and fashioned after the image of your Creator. But I'm talking about your flesh, your skin and bones, your body. Your, it stinks if you don't shower, that, that decaying mess. He says um, that the flesh is unable to submit to God. But it can be ruled by your born-again spirit. Not by telling the flesh no. That's not how you rule flesh. You don't overcome flesh by saying no flesh. Behave flesh. Flesh, you don't do that. You don't, no, instead you turn from the spirit realm, what is it that you do? Who is it that you are? What is it that you desire in the spirit realm? Make it maybe different, but more understandable. Everyone think of pink angel hair. I like that. I'm going to use that for cotton candy after this. Pink cotton candy, all right? Big, poofy ball of pink cotton candy. You can picture it in your mind, right? You can see it because we're all we're visual creatures. That's how we're wired. As soon as someone says a word, you pick, you see that word. You don't see the words spelled in your brain. Well, pink cotton candy, a big ball of it, and as long as you tell yourself, don't think about pink cotton candy. No pink cotton candy. Don't think about pink cotton candy. As long as you do that, you you can't overcome the flesh that way. Because each time you open your mouth, you're bringing attention back to the cotton candy. Don't think the cotton candy. Well, you can, as long as you continue to try to overcome the flesh that way. If instead you will fill, put something else in your mind, the renewing of your mind, remember? Think something different. You could be holding pink cotton candy and you begin to open your mouth and you think about brown poodles. Yeah, brown poodles. I remember we had this brown poodle. That thing was such a little ball of fur. And it would bounce all over the place. And all the while, you're holding pink cotton candy. You're not even thinking about it anymore. No, we didn't have a brown poodle. He thinks I'm... Anyhow. Oh, no. Okay. Okay. So, if you deal, if you deal with thoughts you shouldn't have in regards to lust sexually, look... This is how you win this thing, is you speak out loud the thoughts you want to have. This is your spirit standing up and leading, and you speak out loud the things you want to think. You know what? Airplanes. Yeah, airplanes. And man, your ears, like a dog, you know, they just go right up and you begin to think something else. And you, you're not going to demand, you're not going to defeat lust. This is for women too, because it's not just men that are in, in pornography these days. You're not going to defeat those things by saying no to it. No to it. No to it. No to it. You have to fill up with something different. Because that will arrest your attention. 
All right, let's finish. I want to read a few more. I want to read at least through verse 17 before we climb off the surgery table. Those who are in the flesh, in the flesh, notice he makes that specification again. Not, he, he talks about, we used to be in the flesh. Okay, that was our identity, now it's not. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh. But in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead. That's present tense. You're not having to re-crucify yourself again and again. Christ died to sin once. All right? That crucifixion was also your crucifixion. And you died to sin once. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead, present tense, because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through His Spirit who lives in you. So there is victory even over flesh, especially in the end. You're going to have resurrected that flesh into a new way the immortal way of being. So then, brothers, sisters, we are not obligated, you're not under debt to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. You have no obligations there. You don't, you're not married to that anymore. Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit, that's your born-again spirit, that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. Hallelujah. The next time we're together and talking about this, this is going to be fun. One of my favorite chapters in Romans, Romans 8. So what mindset do you have? See, you can be born again and have the wrong mindset. Because your mind didn't get born again. Your brain. Your thinker. Your mind is in your soul realm. And if you will renew your mind, because we've been given, right, the Word of God to renew our mind, to work in us, the water of the Word. If you will renew your mind, now your mind is going to take the shape of your born again spirit. The one that created you. So you can overcome. You can walk in victory. But if your mindset is one of death or of flesh, of natural things, does that mean that we should... That was a saying I remember someone said one time. That they were so heavenly minded that they were no earthly good. It's kind of a dumb saying, really. Because if you're truly heavenly minded... You're going to be about the kingdom's business. And so you're going to be very involved 
in the natural realm, right? So maybe it would be better said, someone who thinks they're so heavenly minded, right? What, what is he saying? Well, does that mean that we shouldn't be a planner? Or that we should not take care of what is in our responsibility in the natural realm? No, it doesn't mean that at all. And you can do it, but by from the Spirit. You can be responsible for what you have in the natural, but right from the Spirit realm. Is where you are looking at, where your focus is. Lord, how should I do this? Take, for example, preparing for a sermon. Right? I study, I take notes, I write down this reference, down that reference, I read over there, read over here, chase bunny trails. And in the end, after praying and saying, Lord, which piece of this do you want me to use? Well, how do you want me to do it? And what order should I do it? I come and present to you what I got by the Spirit. But now, is it possible to do all of that with just the mindset of the flesh? No, okay, I'll ask you differently. Is it possible to prepare a sermon from the mindset of the flesh? Yes. Yeah. And obviously it's not going to have the same effect as when it is given from a place of spirit-ledness. Because the Lord knows what you need to hear tonight. Right? He knows, well, okay, so for me, this is, this is my job. This is what I do. Right? Come and teach and preach the gospel at the church. That, that's my job function, just like you have a job in whatever it is you do. Well, if I can be spirit-led in this job, you can be spirit-led in the one that you're doing. Right? The anointing of the Lord isn't exclusive to the pulpit. It's exclusive to the believer. Right? And to be salt and light, remember, we're salt everywhere we go. That's in our workplace. We're difference makers everywhere that we are and where we go. All right, worship team, you can come. I want to remind you of a few things on the calendar that are coming up. So on on September 24th, we're going to have Pastor Jake Kale ministering here. And so come out, um, especially Jake and Elizabeth, I expect you to be there. That's their wedding that afternoon, and that's where we're going to be, so we won't be there. But um, we have invited Pastor Jake to come in and to minister, and so uh, those of you that are going to be here, come expecting a great word of the Lord from him. And, and going forward, um, I, have a, I have a request for you. In teaching Romans, ask the Lord to give you revelation to see truth in Romans as we go through it. Ask the Lord to give me the ability to explain clearly and simply what He's talking about. Alright? If we'll do that together, then these services in Romans will just become more and more and more powerful and make a bigger and bigger difference. Many of you have seen these cards. You've heard us talk about them from time to time. Maybe if you're new with us, you say, well, what are these cards? You can find them in the lobby on the table in the back. And it's called um, Biblical Answers to Your Everyday Life Questions. And so you can put a question on there, and then from time to time we'll take some of them, and we discuss them here, 
and bring biblical truth to the question that was asked. There's sometimes I get questions that I don't. There's sometimes that, um, you know, we, I'll, I'll talk to you individually or, or maybe it gets answered in a sermon. Um, but for this particular one, it's asked at a very timely, in a very timely uh, season because the question has to do with elections. Okay, and so this is the question. How do we choose the best candidates in the upcoming election? Too many negatives about most of them. And religious choices? And then um, the way I understand the question, he refers to um, Dr. Oz, I believe. says Muslim and says the right things, but his history is very questionable. Dual citizenship, state residency, you know, there's a bunch of questions about him. And um, if I'm understanding the heart of of that part of it, versus, so Oz versus a liberal extremist, right? Or he says the governor candidates are also sketchy. It's like putting trust in quicksand. And he says his name can be shared publicly so we can thank Mr. George Epsey for bringing this question to us tonight. So, how do we decide, you know, who do we vote for? How do we go to the voting booth? And how should we, let's back this thing all the way up into the primaries, right? How should we decide which one to cast a vote for there? How do we determine um, what is, how can I follow biblical principles and be involved? And so, I want to take you to Exodus chapter 18 and read a couple verses to you. And then we'll also go to Hosea. But in Exodus 18, this is where Moses had brought the children of Israel out of of Egypt. And so now he has a full-time job plus trying to sit as judge and and arbitrator and all kinds of things as they're bringing problems to him. And, And... his father-in-law comes and sees the situation and says, hey, um, there's a better way. You know, you're being overworked. They're frustrated because their case isn't being heard for so long. You're frustrated because you just have a mile long of people. And so um, he says, here's what you should do. And then in the end, Moses does it and recognizes that this is the Spirit of the Lord speaking through his father-in-law. And he carries and and implements this in Israel. And it's how they chose their judges. But this is what he says in in verse 21 of chapter 18. Exodus 18, 21. He says, you should select from all the people able men. Okay, so so this isn't just a judge verse. And and let me say a few things before we go further. Say, well, this was Old Testament. That's correct. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His character is the same. And his, what He considered a right way to do something then is still the right way to do it. It hasn't changed. And if, uh, if you say, well, yeah, but we are... Because you know, some people say, well, we're not choosing a pastor. That's very true. Because we'd be in trouble if, if, our, if, our, if they were our pastors, right? Because you wouldn't get any face time with them. They don't give you any teaching, so they just would be a really poor shepherd for you. But they are walking and operating in an anointed place. It doesn't mean they're operating from an anointing, but they're in the place of anointing, right? And it's a biblical godly thing. You know, we can look at Romans 
13. We can look at many scriptures where the Lord has anointed them to, to either lead or to walk in government. Let's put it that way. So we can apply these scriptures. This is, you know, when, when we're choosing people, we should, I believe it would be a godly thing to do, is to put verse 21, we're going to read it, as a magnifying glass over the candidate you're thinking about voting for. It says, you should select from all the people able men, so they should be able. You know, for example, um, I don't consider our current president to be able. Right. You know, he's demonstrated again and again that he's just unable for, yeah. So it's other people behind the scenes that are, are actually filling his shoes. Um, so you should select from all the people, able men, God-fearing. God-fearing. That doesn't mean that they're a Christian, but it definitely means they recognize there is a God and they're going to answer to Him. That's what God-fearing is. That there is a God and they're going to answer to Him. And someone who is well aware of that doesn't put doesn't promote the taking of babies' lives. Come on. You know? Trustworthy. So they should be trustworthy. And hating dishonest profit, or some translations would say bribes. Dishating, or hating dishonest profit. Place them as people. Place them over the people as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. So that's what he did, and it worked out well for him. People were happier. He was happier. You know, when you do things God's way, it just goes better, right? And part of the problem that we've come into as a nation is because we have this idea that when it comes to voting, you can throw the Bible away, and um, it doesn't have to line up with Scripture. Like when you're presented with a horrible choice and an even worse choice, just pick the least horrible like, it's just horrible advice. You know, you can't find anywhere in Scripture that that holds a biblical thread of an idea that that's the right thing to do. To choose the less of two evils. That's just never the right thing to do. And you might say, well, yeah, but, you know, if we don't vote in this least worst one, then the really worst one gets in. Well, maybe so. But are you being operated by fear right now? See, if you're making your choice rooted in fear, now you've got more problems, right? And so, that pressure, that fear cannot be your decider. Otherwise, you're being led by fear rather than led by how the Lord tells us to do it. Now, if everyone was a believer and everyone honored the Word of God as an authority in their life, it wouldn't be a problem now, would it? Because people would do it. So we have lots of people that don't do that. People that aren't believers. And so therefore, it, it behooves you and I to be a pe- person of prayer. So that not only are the right ones coming in, but that the people that are making those votes would come to righteousness. And make righteous choices. Serve the Lord. Come into the kingdom. That's the answer to all of it. Right? We can't legislate righteousness. We want to legislate righteously, right? In a right way. But you can't make people be right by legislation. But that doesn't mean that we shirk it and move away from it. You know, Jesus said that you are the salt of the earth. And last time I checked, when you put salt into the bowl of mashed potatoes, salt doesn't decide, well, we're going to affect this part of the mashed potatoes, but not that part over there. 
No, it affects the whole thing. And so we are in a bowl of mashed potatoes. Didn't figure that was going to be preached tonight. But the world is a great big bowl of mashed potatoes. And here some people thought it was flat. Now I'm just meddling. And you are the salt in those potatoes. And you don't get to choose which part of the potatoes you're going to have an effect on. So we better be affecting all of it. Wherever we are in the bowl is getting salty, right? So I hope you can understand that metaphor. Let's go over to, okay, so I'll just read this verse again. Select from all the people, able men, God-fearing, trustworthy, and hating bribes. Now let's look at Hosea. Let's go to uh, Hosea 8. All right, I'm sorry. Let me go back and look at my reference. Hosea 8, yeah, that's right. Verse 4. All right, so what, had, what was going on here is they had, um, let's just start in verse 1 actually. So Israel has a bunch of false hopes going on and, and the word to them is put the ram's horn to your mouth. One like an eagle comes against the house of the Lord because they transgress my covenant and rebel against my law. Israel cries out to me, my God, we know you. Israel has rejected what is good. An enemy will pursue him. And then listen to verse 4. Here's some of the things that they've done. They have installed kings, but not through me. They have appointed leaders, but without my approval. So, is it possible that we can elect leaders without the Lord's approval? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's not... Even if the Lord's will is for one person to get in, it's not an automatic that they get in. We have to do our part to put that person there. So definitely pray and ask the Lord, who should I be, who should I be voting? Because he knows, he, he knows all the secrets from their closets. He knows it all, right? More than, and half the time when you hear something about someone, can you believe it or not anyway? So it's, that's a poor way to make your decision, is solely going by what you hear. So be, be paying attention to the witness on the inside, that we don't go and put kings in, because obviously a king, my point in reading this is, you know, a king, they've installed kings, but not through me. So it's possible to have a leader, a king, that wasn't his will, like a Hitler. That wasn't God's will. Side note, I think Hitler... You know, he was such a, an amazing speaker and orator. And, I mean, like, he was an evangelist just for the wrong side. You know, he was probably called to be an evangelist. And um, anyhow, the devil just likes to twist those things. So we're talking about elections. How do we decide? How do we, how do we go about things? You know, these are, are... I'll give you that verse in, in Exodus. Use that as a guideline. Be led by the Spirit of the Lord on the inside and, um, and then go do what the Lord tells you to do. And I know that that's not telling you which one to go vote for, right? But you guys have the Spirit of the Lord. You can, you can measure that and lay it out. One of the things that, because like he, he made the statement, um, some of them are sketchy. One of the things that I personally look at is a person doesn't have to be born again, but if someone is born again and if they claim to be spirit-filled and if there is fruit in their life of that, even if I don't 
100% agree with them or there's some things they did that mm, I didn't like. Here's what I do have confidence in. I have confidence in the Spirit of the Lord in them versus someone who's not born again. Because I know that the one that lives in me and that I talk to can talk to them and has a line to them, whereas the person that's not born again, he doesn't. He's not living on the inside of them. And so I'll, if I'm down to uh, this one or this one, well, that will definitely make my decision because I know that I can pray and the Lord could affect that individual. Whereas someone that the Lord's not living inside of, He can send people to them, but it's different, right? It's just different. All right, thank you, George, for giving that question and allowing us the opportunity to uh, speak on it. I like what Pastor was saying about uh, what you're putting your focus on. I, I lived in um, Honduras for a year as a missionary, and I got to hear a lot of really bad sound systems down there. And tonight we're dealing with a, a, a damaged speaker, so that's why you're hearing the boxiness and our voices and all that. But um, the one thing that I noticed when I was in Honduras that regardless of the sound systems, people's hearts were just solely fold out, sold out and fully towards the Lord in worship. And they would just dance, they would worship, and it didn't matter how bad that sound system was, their heart was, they were singing, they weren't sitting, they were worshiping the Lord. And how about, how about we just do that tonight, you know? Press through, focus on the Father, forget the, forget the, the, the way that sounds, and then just move forward with the Lord tonight. Amen? Hallelujah. Isn't God good? Jesus. Amen. Are you encouraged? Glad that you came? I want you to uh, just be more encouraged. Karen, why don't you come? Catherine, come on up. When we were in prayer before church, I had a spiritual vision. of I, What I saw in the spirit was a, like anybody seen a cast iron bacon press that you put on bacon to flatten it out? That press came down, and I asked the Lord what he meant by that, and he said, many of you are going through some things in the natural that are full of pressure, and it's pressure on you. There's a difference between test and tribulation or trials. God, I'm sorry, there's a difference between trials and temptations and tests. Tests come from the Lord, and they, and they come to show you what's in your heart. And a lot of times it comes through pressure. And it's so easy to curse the darkness, to rebuke the devil, and to blame somebody else. When all the time, our greatest encourager and cheerleader, the Father, wants to get us all ready for our appearing before our, bride, our bridegroom. And that means getting rid of the dross. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about the wood, hay, and stubble. And God's dealing with that in all of our lives right now in different areas. So when you're feeling that pressure and you'd rather curse the darkness, go to the Father. Humble yourself before Him and ask Him, what area in my life are you putting your finger on that I can repent and truthfully get a hold of it and turn from it and let it go and see it as see it as the sin that it is. And that's really where we're at. 
definitely is a body here because the Lord is pruning, purifying, and refining. And let them. Just let them. You'll be better off for it because the Father loves you more than you realize. And he's not willing for you to stay the same, but to be changed more and more into his image and likeness. And that means dealing with the sin, the wood, hay, and stubble, and letting God turn that into gold, silver, and precious jewels. So um, while we were praying, I also had a vision, and what God showed me was um, a brand new barn. It was absolutely beautiful. Uh, There was no door, um, and it was empty. But what I could see in, it was a physical barn, but in the spirit, there was a hole in the roof. And I could see that the, the roof, that area, it was a secret place and it was full of God's glory. And that he was calling us into that glory. To be in his presence in the secret place, a hidden place. Um... But it's also in that place um, where there's heat. And that's where the, the chaff and the, the wood, hay, and stubble gets burnt up. And then the second part of the vision I'm going to share with you, um, but I'm not going to tell you what my interpretation is because I believe the Lord gave that to Karen. So the second part of the dream, dream, vision... I, um, I saw a horse and buggy. It wasn't an Amish horse and buggy. It was just regular peep farmer driving along, horse, buggy, clippity-clop, and then suddenly there was no more road. So. So many of you in this house have maxed out what God has called you to do. You've been responsible, you've been willing, and you've been obedient. And you're maxed out. The end of the road is there, and that is a good thing. Now he's calling us to look up to him, to his glory, to that place where the secrets are for the next assignment or the next place or the next road or whatever it is he has for you. That means putting down the busyness of life, the distractions of the enemy that keeps us all out of that place. And this is a serious mandate from the Lord because he wants to push us into that next place. It's not found down here. It's found up there. Father, I thank you that you are good and that you reveal your secrets to men. And Lord, I ask you to uh, bring to understanding and bring to the knowledge of each one here of what you, how you want them to receive it, how you want them to practice it, and what you want them to get from it. Thank you for it. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for for giving us of yourself, your spirit, to lead us, guide us, direct us, 
to encourage and strengthen us. And we do, we, we call you Lord, we call you Father, in Jesus' name. How many of you were encouraged this week by uh, somebody? Someone called you, texted you, did something to encourage you. Was any, you know, last weekend I had uh, told you to, uh, to do that. You know, find someone, pray. Who should I encourage? Were any of you on the receiving end of that? <clears throat> so, I want to encourage you to go a step further with it. In a different way. And that is, is tell somebody here tonight something that you admire about somebody else here. And then the person that is being told that, you'd be a horrible secret keeper. Don't tell the person who said it. Just tell them you heard that they're this or you, you heard. Like, for example, you know, if someone came to Karen and told her that, you know, I really, I really appreciate Elizabeth's big toothy grin. See, just like that. Then Karen goes to her and says, you know what I heard about you? That your smile really ministers to someone. The kind of encouragement that that can be. I told you last week, we're going to be the most encouraging people we know. Alright? Let's build each other up. Let's look for the... What that's going to do is that's going to cause you to start looking for the strengths in others. The things to speak to and the things to call to. Alright? Jacob, did you have something? I did, I did want to, and I know you guys are already probably doing this, but it's Mission Sunday. The most important thing is to lift up our, the, the missionaries we support, find out who they are, and intercede and pray for them, especially our Apostle Dale Armstrong. We need to pray for him where he's at and continue to lift up Ukraine for the victory of the Lord. Amen. Thank you. everyone. Praise the Lord. He is so worthy to be praised, isn't he? Amen. God is good. Thanks for coming tonight. Be a part of this wonderful worship time at CWI, Church of the Word International in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Blessed to be here together with you. Don't forsake the assembling of yourself with other believers, like-minded believers, even more as the day approaches. Amen? I'd like to encourage you in the book, our lifeline right here, in Psalms 89. It says, the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. For who in the heavens can compare to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? 
God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne and mercy and truth go before your face. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all day long. And in your righteousness they are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. Is he the glory of your strength tonight? Amen. Amen. <laughs> well, let's yes. all rise together in this house. And let's give him all the honor, all the praise from our heart. Let's look up and out to the God of our salvation. Amen. Amen. Jesus, we honor your presence here tonight. We acknowledge your presence here tonight. We celebrate you. We give you all the glory and all the praise. You're the head of this assembly. And we bow before you. In our hearts, we humble ourselves before you. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are always right. And we bow to that. And we, we say, have your way tonight in our hearts, in our physical bodies. We just give you permission to move and touch each and every one of us as we have come together to seek your truth, to seek your face, to honor you, to elevate you, to celebrate you tonight. This is a serious matter. There's many brethrens and brother sisters in the body of Christ that are fearfully getting together behind closed doors, not knowing if they'll be knocked down. But you've given us freedom tonight to enter in and partner in with you. And we say yes to you. We say have your way in our minds and our hearts and our bodies. We've come together tonight for that very purpose, to honor you, to honor truth, to honor your word. So we open ourselves up. We lay every burden down, every care down at your feet. We just choose to be in this beautiful moment that we have tonight where they're all eyes on you. So Jesus, bring revelation, bring instruction, bring revelation to us. We'll honor it and embrace it. We thank you for who you are and whose we are. In the mighty name of Jesus. One way we love God in this place is by loving one another. So please make sure you turn to several people tonight and say, I'm so glad you're here. Even if it's across the ocean, we're glad you're here. <laughs> Amen. Praise is a highway to the throne of God. Praise is a highway to the heart of God. Praise is a highway to the throne of God. Well, good evening, everyone. I trust everyone's doing good. Wow, I sound muffled here. 
Well, we're glad to see you all tonight. Is there anyone here that's here for the very first time? You just raise your hand and we'll acknowledge you and rejoice that you're with us. And... All right. Well, we're going to prepare to return the tithe to the Lord. So if you need a cash envelope for your giving, you can raise your hand and the ushers will bring you one. And if you're giving by credit card, please fill out all of the blanks. So tonight we've asked... Uh, Brother Doug Rule to come and share. So, Doug, I'm going to give the mic to you, and you just share what the Lord's given to you for us, and pray over the tithe when you're finished. So. Thanks so much, Jen. <clears throat> Pastor Sidney, thank you for the opportunity to share tonight. How's everyone doing? Yeah, we're making that transition out of summer and into school mode, fall time. I'm kind of torn about that. You know, it's tough to see summer go, but. Uh, I love the fall time and all that comes with that. We were at the E-Town Fair this week and uh, got our milkshake, so uh, we're welcoming in the end of summer officially. Uh, but um, as I was praying this week, the Lord reminded me of something that happened back when I was about 12 or 13, and I was in church and I was sitting next to a buddy of mine, and I don't remember the full context of what the pastor was talking about because I'll be honest, we weren't really fully paying attention. But I remember him making the statement that God loves a hilarious giver. And in my naivety and immaturity, I looked at my buddy out of the corner of my eye, and we both kind of chuckled, like, what is he talking about? What is making someone laugh or having humor have anything to do with giving? Well, he was referencing a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you have your Bible, you can turn there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. In verse 7, it says, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And that's from the NIV translation. And many of the translations use the word cheerful. And what I've come to realize and come to understand, that it is not our money that God desires, but it is our heart. And it is our heart posture that matters to him not necessarily the quantity that we are putting into the offering plate. And many of us that are parents can relate to this. When we ask our kids to do something, there's a big difference when they say, okay, mommy, okay, daddy, I'll go do that, and they do it, and you know that they're doing it out of love and honor as opposed to, ah, and then turning around and stomping up the stairs to go make their bed. And what's most important to us as parents is not that they're making their bed. It's where is their heart? Because we're, 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 we're cultivating their heart as parents, and it's the same thing with God. See, God doesn't need your money. And before you, say, before you tune me out and send an email to Pastor Sidney after the service and say, hey, Doug said God doesn't need my money, so I'm not going to tithe anymore, we have countless examples in the Bible of how God has provided supernaturally when he needs to to further his kingdom. We know that he took a couple of loaves of bread and fishes and he fed 5,000 people and there was an abundance left over after that. We know that when they needed to pay a tax to the temple, he just told Peter to go down to Galilee and catch a fish and there was going to be a coin that came out of his mouth. So God can always provide the way that he needs to to do his work, but what he really wants is he wants our heart and he wants our relationship. But you see, our culture teaches us the opposite of being generous and giving. Acts 20.35 says it's better to give than to receive. But that's not what our culture teaches us. Our culture teaches us us first. 
take care of our needs first, make sure we have everything we need, and then if there's anything left over at the end, maybe we'll give something away. But that's counter to how God wants us to operate as his children. In James 4, verse 6, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So when we give out of generosity, what we're really doing is we're demonstrating humility. And I'd like to propose tonight that there's two things that are unlocked for us when we choose to give generously out of humility. And I'm going to reference back into 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to go a verse earlier than what I just read previously about having a cheer, being a cheerful about it. But in verse 6, it says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So when we're generous, God is generous to us. And a fun little fact is, we have, our, our father is the wealthiest father in the world, right? Isn't that a beautiful thing? So when we are generous, he loves to be generous back to us. But that doesn't mean that we give to get back, right? Because we know we're not living on this earth to accumulate possessions. We're supposed to be storing up treasures in heaven. So what really matters is our heart. So what happens when we give generously? We are acting like Jesus and we are being humble like Jesus in putting others' needs in the kingdom work of God ahead of, our, of ours. And so here in verse 8, if I skip back over verse 7 that I opened with, it says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Because it's not about wealth accumulation for us. It's about abounding in the works that God has created for us to do as a disciple of Jesus. That is what's truly going to give us fulfillment. That's what's truly going to give us joy. That's what's truly going to make us cheerful in all aspects of our life. So when we make that decision to give and to give generously, we are unlocking that valve that pours grace into our life that allows God to step into all that he has for us. And through that fulfillment is where the joy and the cheerfulness comes from. So I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward and just going to pray and ask the Lord to increase in us a willingness to be generous and be humble like he is humble. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this church body. I thank you for how generous your people are, Lord. But I ask, Lord, for an increase in generosity, Lord, that we would um, think of others and look to the needs of others more than ourselves. And, Lord, that in that, that you would release to us the grace that we need to step into all of the things that you have for us, Lord, and that you would make us fruitful in advancing the kingdom so that we can not only store up treasures on this earth, but more importantly, store up treasures in heaven. We love you and we bless every tithe and every dollar that's put into the offering plate tonight, Lord. May it be used to honor and glorify you and further your kingdom in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for sharing. That is so true. You know, God cares about our heart and what we do with our money, our attitude towards money has a way of fleshing that out. So thank you for sharing, Doug. All right, it is our missions uh, Saturday, so I will give Pastor Sidney the opportunity. Okay. I thought we were on the same page. That's the flow of it, but all right. 
Um, okay, so go over some announcements here. So tomorrow is our church summer picnic. Everybody excited to show up? Going to bring your ball things, your games, and I don't know, whatever else you want to do at the picnic. Uh, two dishes to share. And the address is here in the bulletin, but it is the same place as usual. So we'll see everybody tomorrow. We plan to eat at noon. So next sun, next sa- Sunday. Okay, I was going to say Saturday. No, that's church. So City Gate is next Sunday. So you still can uh, sign up for that or see Karen or coordinate to be a part of that. Last chance to sign up for the fall semester of LTS. Please talk to Kelly tonight if you're wanting to uh, do that and be a part of that. Our leadership training school is just a a great resource that we offer here at the church. If you're wanting to grow in wisdom, if you're looking to grow in your knowledge of the word and um, deepen your relationship with God, you know, to be able to hit that destiny, hit the mark, hit the stride that God created you to flow in for your life. This is a tool for you. Um, it's only one Saturday a month and one Monday night a month. Everything else you can do at home, so it's not, um, you can do this. This fits nicely with um, full-time work, stay-at-home moms. I've done it, so uh, <laughs> anyways, I highly encourage it. Tonight is, wait, August 31st. That's the last. So, but talk to Kelly tonight if you're planning to be a part of that. All right, Pastor, are you ready to uh, receive the missions offering? Good evening. Good to be here with you. We are going to we are going to take the missions offering, and and what we are doing is every month at the end of the month we collect this. And uh, wherever you designate it to go is where 100% of it goes. If you just want to make it to the general mission fund here and it'll be dispersed from there, you can also do that. If you just leave it blank, that's where it'll automatically go. Otherwise, designate it where you want it to go and it will arrive there. There was two scriptures that came to mind as I was thinking about this in particular. And um, the first one is found in Proverbs 11. Verse 25 says, a generous person will be enriched. And this scripture came to mind as our brother was sharing on giving generously and humbly. Well, here he says, a generous person will be enriched and the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. Well, when we partner with people all the way around the world, all over, locally and abroad, and you are supporting them. And I know many of you have, have, have made commitments, right? Faith commitments to help certain ministries out or, or missionaries out. You are watering them by doing that. And so you can expect the Lord's going to refresh you, right? That may be financially. It may be all kinds of ways. What refreshes you? But expect that the Lord will water me. Expect that the Lord will bless me. And, but there's one other thing that I want to draw attention to, another scripture, that as you sow into the work of the kingdom, you know, we have a verse that says something like this, this is how we know that we love him if we obey his commands. This is how we know that we love the Lord if we're obedient 
to, to do what he says. Well, what did he say? He said, go into all the world, right? Teach, preach, baptize, make disciples of all nations. So part of going into all the world is what, why we do this mission offering once a month. And why we make it a special effort to put our eyes on the kingdom's business rather than our own business. Because this is truly an expression of love to the Lord, to be about His work. Not our own little empire, not our American dream, not all those things. There are blessings that come with finances, right? But that's not where we're going to focus. If we're, if we're watering simply so that we're watered, we're missing a huge portion of what's available to us, right? The law of sowing and reaping will work, whether you have a good motive or bad. That law is in operation just like the law of gravity. Just like it rains on the, on the just and on the unjust. The law of sowing and reaping will work for you. The issue is, is will it have supernatural work in your life? Because that's where when you sow to the Spirit, you reap of the Spirit now. Rather than just the natural law of sowing and reaping in operation. So, let's do it because we love the Lord. Let's do it because we're obedient to Him. And let's do it because there are a lot of people that need water. And then the Lord will take care of us. So take a hold of your uh, offering and let's just pray over it. Father, we present to you our offerings, our money that represents our time, our energies, and Lord, we just put them into your work and into your kingdom. And Father, we ask you to water every place we send this, that this finance will water those people, will enable them, and will enrich them to do what You've called them to do. I ask You, Lord, to stretch it even further than the numbers. If they have $10 in their hand, that it goes 20 <laughs> Lord, supernatural increase to the places that it's sent. And I thank You, Lord, that You have promised to meet all of our needs. We believe that in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, the ushers. Can't, oh, do you need an envelope? I didn't ask. If you need an envelope, wave wildly at an usher. They'll, they'll bring one to you. And uh, while you're filling that out, we'll wait for a bit. I'm going to invite my tall Greek friend, Jacob. It's good that the Jews and the Greeks can worship together anymore, right? <laughs> that there's no Jew nor Greek. Jacob is going to share with us um, a short synopsis of his trip to Ukraine and, and about that. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, I like what our brother uh, Doug said. He said, the true definition of humility is a heart of praise. Because we know the Lord is our provider and everything. Um, all of you that prayed and paid, the Lord displayed in Ukraine. You know, when we went there, the refugees have multiplied. And the little basement bunker that became a church was totally packed, totally packed. There was only one little area that you could walk to go by. And there was going up the stairs into the street rows of people waiting to get a bag of groceries okay and some cleaning supplies um, while waiting in the basement bunker 
everyone was sweating bullets. It was hot, but they stood there just to get that one bag of groceries. So part of your finances also paid for an air conditioner, which has made it very, very welcoming now for everyone in there. So praise God for that. Uh, it, what did it look like? Um, every morning we'd wake up, we would go and purchase uh, food We would in bags, and we would load up the vans. We would take it to the church, take it into the basement, prepare it for the next day for when the people would come at a certain time, and they would take their groceries. Before they would take their groceries, uh, we had a chance to preach for 15 minutes every day twice in that uh, little church basement. Um, so the team was able to receive from the Lord and give a word in due season, a word in time. And it was so awesome how different, uh, even though we're from different states, the message that the one guy had tied into what the other guy got from the Lord. That's just so beautiful. Uh, we had two Amish, two Amish brothers, one Baptist young man, uh, Going, going on the way there to the airport, you know, doctrine comes up in the conversation, and, and I'm listening to the debates and everything. So I had to explain to them. I turned around after I heard everyone's stance on biblical theory and everything. I said, brothers, I just want to let you know, this is a Pentecostal group. You're going to hear speaking in tongues, casting out devils, and healing the sick. If you guys have any questions or doubts, we're going to have Bible studies until you get it. <laughs> so, praise God. They were like, okay. <laughs> um, after giving to the people in the church and preaching and praying for them and ministering to them, we would set up and go out to parks and put trampolines. The way they did it, they already had trampolines and uh, angel hair. No, not angel hair. Cotton candy. Cotton candy for the kids. So I, I, I said, uh, so we had, an, we had an ex-professional baseball player that was with us. And he presented baseball to the kids. Uh, they were excited about that. And then I came up with an idea with the piñata. Let's do a piñata. My, that was throwing candy everywhere. Um, but you see the frowns on the people's faces reaching all the way to the cheekbone. And through the children and the joy and the laughter, it would break and bring fresh water, just like Pastor Sid said. I mean, the spiritual water of the Lord is more than just liquid. It's life. And life is... You know, the language of love is not only in the tangible, but it's you, the language of love impacts the hearing, the visual, the spoken, even just silence. Uh, these people, when they would hear us pray with the children, how did we pray with the children? So we would have soccer balls like Santa Claus, I had a big bag of soccer balls on my back, and we said, we're going to give soccer balls to the kids. We're going we're gonna to bring toys. So those children would pray the sinner's prayer and lead them into a prayer of salvation. And we would incorporate for the Lord to give wisdom to the parents 
to take responsibility and seek a church to take their children to. Parents were crying. We were praying, God, give wisdom to the parents to train their children to know you. The children were screaming the sinner's prayer. My ears were ringing. I don't know if it was the soccer ball anointing or the, <laughs> praise God. But we have so many videos and pictures. Uh, Caleb Zimmerman offered to do a PowerPoint. We're going to get down on that, and we're going to get it together, and we're going to present. It will bring tears to your eyes. Um, we had a, an old lady. Well, we were at a one park, and an old lady came limping like can you pray for because we were praying for little children and people can you pray for me and she was holding her hip and and the baptist young man came up to me i was doing something else he said this what's this woman want and the interpreter says she wants prayer he said she wants prayer and i said to the baptist young man i said do you believe that the lord can heal her i believe god can heal her yeah i said but do you believe he's going to do it right now in front of and he just swallowed a little bit and he's like god help me believe that you can do it right now i said okay that's that's biblical we, god can work with that go and put your hands on her and we prayed for that lady for five minutes and that lady was like Whoo! i'm gonna i'm gonna animate her right now she was like Whoo! from holding her hip and limping to us she started bouncing and praising God. So the Baptist boy's eyes were like, so now he's got a whole bunch of Kenneth Hagin books. <laughs> Praise God. So we, you know, as you impact other people, you yourself get impacted. You know, the, the, when the pipe is dry, but when water flows through it, the pipe gets wet also. Same thing with the fire of God. You know, if you want revival in yourself, and you feel dry and backslid. Get out of your comfort zone and go do something for Jesus. Don't be scared. The scariest thing that I saw there was the drivers. Driving from the border to the border. I prayed. <laughs> I, I said to the pastor, I said, Pastor, can you get a different driver? He said, let me tell you something. I knew someone was going to say it. I said, what? He said, once there was an American pastor that came, wanted to come to Ukraine, and we sent our drivers to go get him from the border. And, and he came, and, and when he came out of the van, he fell on his knees and started praying to God never to drive with that driver again. And the Holy Spirit said to the pastor, you be quiet, son. When you preach on the pulpit, people fall asleep. But when my servant drives people, they pray. <laughs> so... Praise God. Oh. If any of you feel tugged in your heart to participate with the 10 men group, pray to the Lord. There's a lot more to share. Thank you. So if I see any of you falling asleep today, I'm going to take you on an airplane ride. All right, are you ready to uh, give into the work of the Lord? Um, ushers, you can pass the baskets, and uh, we will cheerfully be a part of what the Lord is doing in many, many places.